a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday here in the great state of Utah. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio today. And uh, a lot of ground to cover, as we've mentioned. Uh, we'll be here all the way till 3 o'clock today. Uh, when we'll hand off to Jeff Kaplan, he will get you home as always. Uh, we're going to be joined momentarily uh, by Representative John Curtis. Uh, I understand he is on the floor of the House and uh, hopefully will be stepping off the floor and giving us a buzz here shortly. Um, <clears throat> so we'll continue to, to hold for him. Uh, while we do, uh, the president is currently in the Oval Office uh, talking about uh, kind of a wide range of uh, topics, everything from Iran to his new uh, press secretary slash communications director, uh, which is going to be, uh, as I said before, is going to be very interesting uh, just to see uh, how that role works. Uh, having one person in that role doing both the White House press secretary role as well as uh, the uh, communications director role. Those are uh, two vastly different jobs uh, that require a great deal of, of coordination. Uh, but man, they both need significant attention and especially rolling into a 2020 reelection. Uh, that's a that's a very tall order uh, for Stephanie Grisham uh, to step into to play both of those roles. So, uh, as I said before, we'll continue to monitor that Um we're just uh, standing by to uh, get uh, Representative John Curtis uh, coming off the floor, uh, so stay tuned for that. Also, just as a uh, look ahead, again, we're going to be here all the way till 3 o'clock today uh, when we'll hand off to Jeff Kaplan, uh, but we'll have uh, Representative Curtis will be joining us. We'll also be joined uh, a little later on by Representative Chris Stewart, uh, who will talk about Iran and uh, the what's happening there with the president and what the role of Congress is going to be in all of that. That's a... Uh, uh, a big point of contention, I think, for both Republicans and Democrats in Washington today is Congress has continued to abdicate power and authority to the executive branch uh, for decades now to the point that uh, most presidents don't feel like they even need to go to Congress anymore uh, to do anything relating to, to war or sanctions uh, or retaliation uh, for aggression and so on. And uh, the president has clearly done that today. And uh, we'll see how Congress reacts and uh, and where that moves next. Uh, we'll also be joined by Ben McAdams today. He's going to talk about election security as we make the pivot uh, into the 2020 election uh, cycle. And I know he's been involved with a number of uh, things back there in Washington, D.C. on that front. Uh, also, just as a reminder that uh, during the 2 o'clock hour, we are going to kick off our look at the uh, mayoral candidates here in Salt Lake City. 
And we'll have Jim DeBacchus will join us, as well as David Ibarra, a businessman who's thrown his hat in the ring. So that will be great insight on both of them as they launch their campaigns. And I'm going to ask both of them the uh, the questions that I always ask candidates. And you don't want to miss those questions because their answers will be very revealing uh, in terms of where their campaigns are headed and uh, what they're going to do next. All right. Very pleased to be joined right now on the line uh, by Representative Curtis. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Boyd. How are you? Good. <laughs> understand you're running and gunning back there today. <laughs> you, they, they're keeping us busy. Let's put it that way. We just came from the House floor where we were voting. All right. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate you stepping off the floor and uh, giving us a, a quick buzz. Uh, obviously, there's a, a lot of chatter and a, a lot of conversations going on around uh, funding uh, for Homeland Security. We've got uh, sort of dueling bills uh, in the Senate and the House. Uh, can you give us just a, a quick update on uh, where things stand from your perspective today? Absolutely. Um, a lot of us really like the Senate uh, bill. It passed out of committee 30 to 1. And that just never happens. And, and, and so it shows you it's clearly a good bipartisan bill. And so um, those of us who do have some concerns with the House version, are pointing to the Senate version and saying, if we can get close to that, then we're in a good place. Okay. Uh, really interesting. I, th- I did think it was interesting this morning uh, when uh, Demo- one of the Democratic leaders, Steny Hoyer, was asked about the two bills. Uh, he immediately referenced the, the Senate bill. Can you give us yeah. a, a couple of the key pieces there in terms of the differences? Well, um, the House version... Um, it's really interesting because the the, the the other side of the aisle, the Democrats, are struggling to get enough votes just on their side. Right. Because to some of them, it's too too conservative. To some of them, it's too liberal. And um, they actually really need some Republican votes, you know, to 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 do what they want to do. But it's that's why we all keep pointing to this Senate version is because let's face it, to come out of committee 30 to 1, it, it really did a nice job of, of acknowledging there were some valid points on both sides, which the House version does not. Yeah. Um, we, we tried. Um, Will Hurd, who's, who's the only Republican with a, a large area along the border, tried to do a last-minute amendment to the House version. He simply wanted to add $75 million for additional judges, and the Democrats rejected that. Mm. And uh, and that just kind of shows you they they're in a pattern lately where they won't even consider our amendments. And if you if you want to get some bipartisan votes, you got to at least let us get some amendments in there and and participate in in the outcome. Yeah. But I think the good news for Americans is that uh, I, I think there's enough consensus that will shortly uh, shortly meaning a week or so uh, get a, get a bill to the president that he can sign. Uh, I, I will just bring up with you quickly. I'm a little concerned. It feels like we're spending so much time on on the symptom mm-hmm. and so little time on the problem. And, and, and I view as what's happening at the border really just systematic, uh, symptomatic of a much, much larger problem. And I think that's the problem a, a lot of us have with this bill is, yeah, we'll get to an answer. We'll get the right amount of funding. But we really haven't solved any problems. We've just dealt with a temporary situation. I, yeah. I compared it yesterday on, on, on the KSL show to a broken glass door and every time you go out of it you get a cut and all everybody wants to do is give you a band-aid instead of fixing the door 
Yeah, I, that, that's a that's a great point. I want to drill down on that just a uh, a little bit because that is often the case in Washington that we spend so much time, so much effort, so much political and emotional capital. Uh, they always say in in Washington you you tend to run out of energy before you run out of opportunity. Uh, and it seems like these these broken processes where uh, and, and both sides have been guilty of this in the in the past of it. You'd rather have the wedge issue than you'd have the bridge uh, to actually right. get to the symptoms. But you you've been down to the border. You you've seen some of these things. Uh, give us some perspective on that and why it's time for us to get beyond the the process and just doing the minimum standard uh, to actually solving these problems. Well, if you go down to the border, what you'll see uh, is facilities that are obviously inadequate. They were not built uh, for this, and I think it's a mistake to say, "Oh, this is a this is a, a problem of, of recent." No, this has been going on for years, um, but it's just getting more attention now. And but it's clear that facilities are not adequate, nor are they adequate for the increasing loads. If, if they're inadequate to begin with, they're even less adequate for the increasing loads that are coming across the border, and, and that's why you've got to go. Drill, uh, drill deeper on this. We have to look at our asylum laws. We do need to look at, at uh, uh, barriers. Uh, we need to look at uh, going down into these countries where they're coming from and making sure that we're improving living conditions down there. I, I had a chance to be down on the Venezuelan border in Colombia a few weeks ago, and, and I, I, I guarantee you there's not one of us that wouldn't take our families and leave and, and try to get up mm-hmm. there if we were down there. And so until, unless we're down there, changing the conditions down there, these people are, are going to seek a better life, and they're going to see that here in the United States. And so we can have, you know, we can have super tall fences. They're going to keep coming. And so that's what, what I mean by this is just much deeper, and, and it really we're fooling ourselves unless we go down and address uh, the, the current laws, the asylum laws, the economies of these countries, the safety issues in these countries, um, the personnel at the border, more judges, more facilities, um, you know, all of these things, it, it's going to take a massive investment on our part to do what needs to be done. Yeah. And all of this, by the way, is really in harmony with the Utah Compact, which I don't think we talk about enough. But I, I think the Utah Compact really does a magnificent job of being kind of a guiding force for me. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. If you're just joining us, we've got Representative John Curtis on the line with us, uh, just stepped off the floor uh, uh, of a vote uh, to to chat with us a little bit about what's going on in this funding. And uh, as he very rightly has pointed out, uh, this is uh, we, we've got to get to the the root of the problem here, uh, Representative Curtis. We've got we've got just about a minute and a half left, and and you mentioned the asylum laws, um, and I think there are some some real solutions there. I thought it was interesting to note yesterday that uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer in, on the Senate side uh, actually introduce something that was kind of Utah compact-esque uh, and something that the Utah delegation has certainly talked about in terms of people being able to declare asylum in their home countries or in other countries, uh, as opposed to just uh, racing to the border. Uh, any perspective there or anything we should be, be watching for on that front? Well, I can tell you this. The journey from their countries to our borders it's amazing anybody survives. And if you talk about the portable conditions at the border, that's a fraction of what these people experience on this journey. Um, coyotes will charge $6,000. And imagine being in one of these countries and trying to come up with $6,000. Wow. And then and then on the journey, they're raped, they're pillaged, they're, there's child abuse, there's kidnapping. Uh, there, there's just the world's worst possible scenario of events for people as they make those 1,000-mile journeys. 
and I don't think it's it's justifiable. But somebody asked me the other day what I thought of the conditions down at the border, and I, and I, I kind of flippantly said they're a whole lot better than what these people have just had uh, for the last sixty days as, as they've come up into our country. So we've got to realize that that journey is not in anyone's best interest, and and so clearly asylum in, in those countries is a really good discussion. Yeah. But we also have to reevaluate what constitutes asylum mm-hmm. um, and, and, and what what is really in the best interest of these people seeking asylum. I heard the other day that somebody's boyfriend had threatened them, so they wanted asylum in the United States. I get that, and I understand that, but is that really the role of, of the asylum program, and right. shouldn't we be making sure rule of law is strong in their own countries so they can build and solve these problems in That's their own right. countries instead of fleeing. Yeah, absolutely. John Curtis, one of the straight shooters and uh, great thinkers and one of the best staffs on uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, so grateful. Thanks uh, for joining us on Inside Sources today. I'm going to pass on that compliment to them. They'll appreciate that. Please do. All the best. All right, Representative John Curtis. All right, we're going to step aside for top of the hour news break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Doug Wilkes, editor of the Deseret News, uh, talking about some of these things that are happening at the border. Don't go anywhere. We're right here on KSL News Radio.